This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. This is your host, Emily Kemp, and I have a guest with us today who would like to remain semi-anonymous, and so um, I'm just going to turn it over to her so she can introduce herself to whatever degree she wants to. Hello, I'm Brooke. Um, I am a working mom of four, and I'm married, and I live on the East Coast, but I am originally from the Southwest. Awesome. Me too. Cool. <laughs> yeah, love the love the Southwest. Um, very different from the East Coast. <laughs> yes, very different. We'll have to talk about that more later then. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you for yeah, just giving us a little bit of um, information about you. I think it's nice for listeners to kind of get an idea of who who the guests are on a different level, and so um, yeah, I appreciate that. And with the intro out of the way. Um, yeah, we'll get kind of to the story sharing portion of the podcast, which is what we're all about. And I'll just turn it over to you and let you start sharing your story, however you want to, in whatever way feels the best for you. All right. Well, I am going to take my story all the way back to, um, well, 2002. Okay. So, gosh, it's been almost 19 years. Holy cow. I am... I'm 39 year, years old now. I just had a birthday. And I so 2002, I was 20. And I made the move to Las Vegas, of all places, <laughs> from, um, from my home state. And I, I was working um, in retail. I, you know, I had a good job. I was working in makeup, at a makeup counter. And freshly, you know, 20 years old, young, um, having fun, just being a young, young adult, young woman. Um, and I, I was single. Um, I pretty much had been single, like all through, throughout high school. And I was promiscuous. I mean, I would try to find the attention from whoever <laughs> at that point. Um, my... I think a lot of it stemmed from my parents divorcing and, you know, I had, I had issues like as far as just attention from my dad or just not learning what, you know, what I needed as far as from a man or anything. So, so it's fairly promiscuous. Um, I moved to Las Vegas. I, I was working on makeup counter. I'm repeating myself. Sorry. Um, That's okay. <laughs> and I met somebody just one night hanging out. I was on Las Vegas Boulevard and I met a guy and he was, he was very charming, very, and we'll call his name is Cisco. Um, 
very charming guy was like, hey, let me get your number. Let's hang out one of these days. And I was just like, okay. So I give him my number. um, And we just kind of start hanging out just here and there. And more like friends with benefits, just kind of seeing each other. But but he always, he, he was myster- mysterious to me. And he, he always had nice cars. Like every time he'd come and pick me up, it'd be in a new car, like an Escalade and then like an Audi TT and just like all these nice cars. And I was like, what do you do? And um, he told me he ran an auto body shop. And I was like, oh, okay. So I caught feelings for him. Um this was from October till around New Year's um, to 2003. And I caught feelings. And he um, also, he like, he took me out one night to, it's called Peppermill. I think it's, pre- I think it's called Peppermill. It's a pretty popular in Vegas restaurant. Um, he took me there one night and he discloses to me that he is a pimp. And I was like, what? I was very just taken aback. Um, and he was like, if you want to, if you still want to be with me, you have to come work for me. Um, at the time I was just like, like, you're crazy. What? <laughs> like, it was just so shocking. To it's me. a lot to take in. Right. I was just like, you're a pimp. This is the first time I've ever, like, I've heard of pimps in, you know, fiction novels or just TV, like silly things. And just having him right in front of me, it was almost one of those things where it was like, whoa, you guys are real? Like, whoa. And you look normal and you're like handsome and like and you just take all these people like me on dates and like, what? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we had already been having sex and right. like, you know, like I was just very like, whoa. Um, so he was just like, yeah, he's like, this is where I'm drawing the line. If you want to be with me, this is what has to happen. And I'm like, okay. So I was like, no, <laughs> see you later. Um, and I was just totally blown away. Um, so I started going back to work and obviously I couldn't get him off my mind. I was very just like, whoa. And so we were talking on the phone here and there. He had went down to um, Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, and he um, he called me one night and he's just like, just come down for the weekend. He's like, do you have bills to pay? I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> he's like, well, come down and see, you know, totally just smooth talking. Just come down and see how much money you can make and you can pay all your bills off this weekend and then you'll have extra money and just sharing all the glamorous things that would come with it. And I mean, I've already been a promiscuous girl and I was like, well, why not? Let me go see how to make some money. Um, so I was like, well, I'm off. I had the next weekend off. So I said, I'll, I'll go down. And, um, I, oh, and I'm sorry, before, while I was on the phone with him, he actually had me talk to one of his girls Oh, okay. He said, this is my, you know, my girl that's been with me for a little while. And so she got on the phone, totally buttering me up. Um, and she was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you what to do. I'll help you out with everything. And, and I was just, I think I was just so, um, 
I don't know what the word is, like just curious about the lifestyle and thinking that it was something that I could just go see and then come back home and be like, okay, I know what that's about yeah. now. <laughs> you know? so, There's so much um, like misinformation and stereotypes about oh, sex yeah. work. It's like, I totally understand the curiosity and like, you know, <laughs> I've slept with people that I like, didn't even like for free. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, Damn exactly. it. There's like, it, when you start to like, think about it, especially in relationship with someone that who you had like, sort of built, started building like a certain level of trust with. Um, it, it yeah. makes sense as to how like that curiosity might get sparked or like how, like the set, like kind of easing into things start to happen. Very much, very much. Um, so yeah, so the weekend, I had that next weekend off work. So I was like, well, I'll just go down. Um, I get down to Phoenix and he's in a pretty nice apartment, like luxury apartment. Um, and I come in and I could feel that the vibe was off. Like it wasn't this, ooh, happy, positive, <laughs> nothing like that, but he, um, he offered to get my car like washed and detailed. And I was like, cool. Okay. Like I had an old, like hoopty car that my grand that I bought from my grandma. Like it was her old grandma car, <laughs> but he offered to get it like washed and detailed and all nice. And I was like, okay, cool. And I don't know as far as timing goes, but, um, I think it was like that night or something or even that morning, maybe I got there early in the morning. I can't exactly remember because I kind of remember it was kind of light out. Um, he he ends up driving me and the other girl out to the track. It's called Van Buren in Phoenix. And he takes us out there and he just like, he takes us out there in my car. So he's not in any of these nice cars. He's driving my car to take us out there. And he drops us off and he's like, she'll show you, um, she'll show you what to do. You know, they give me a purse with all my condoms and lube and hand sanitizer and wipes, like gave me a full purse full of this stuff. Um, so I get out there with the girl and I was just like, holy shit. And next thing I know the first car just like pulls around the corner and she's like, come on, come over here. And I, so I walk with her over there and she's doing the talking, um, telling him like, does he want a double date? And, um, he's like, yeah. And so she, um, we get in the car with him. We go to this hotel where you can pay like by the hour and like, he goes in and pays for the hotel. We go into the room and, Basically, I turned my first date. <laughs> um, everything was safe. Like she taught me, she taught me how to like put the condom on with my mouth, and like everything was like blowjobs with a condom, um, intercourse with a condom. Everything was like no touching. Um, she was like, "Don't let them kiss you. Don't let them touch you." Like she was teaching me all these things, rules, you know. And I was like, okay. Um, so, and that date was only like $60 each or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and then I think we got a couple more and then I ended up doing my own and I was making a little bit, but I was very just confused about the whole thing. Like I, my mind was just like, whoa. 
Um, timing wise, I'm not sure what was, if it was that first day or that second day, we end up getting someone pulls over and we get in the truck and it's an undercover cop. So like the second day I'm there and I get arrested. This is my first time ever being arrested. Um, I go to jail. We're both in jail. Um, and he, he bells us out, but then I, I feel like I kind of think I missed the first day of work or something. Maybe it was the day I was supposed to come back to work or there's something along those lines where I thought my life was over, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I had gone to the dark side and my life was over. Like that was in my head. Like there was no turning back from it at that moment because I was like, I got arrested. Like I'm done. Um, so he ends up bailing us out and... They're saying I have to stay in Arizona because I have charges and I need to go to court and all this. So it's crazy how that like ended up keeping me there somewhat. Like in my head, I'm thinking I have to take care of this stuff. So I was like, I got to stay. And so I end up not going back to my job. I even talked to my boss, I think on the phone one time and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I just can't make it back in anymore. And she's just like, you should. And I think she could tell something was off by the way she was talking to me. Um, and I, a lot, these, these little, these months are kind of blurry, like these first few months, but they were, um, we come back out of jail and like, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to stick it out. And, but I'm starting to see things. He didn't have any cars. We were driving my car. <laughs> Next thing I know, like a week later, we're out of the apartment. It was not his apartment. It was his friend's apartment. We're out of the apartment. We're into a hotel room. Um, so everything he was telling me in the past, like none of those cars were his. He was take technically a, what we call in the game a simp. Mm-hmm. He's like fake and he's not the best (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he had put on this whole facade to try and like razzle dazzle you yeah Yeah. and they were all they were all actually like his friend's cars who was a pimp and that that guy was kind of trying to like teach him how to do things so got it basically so he just had the one girl and me and um and he would just he'd put us on the track you know day and night and I was I just kind of got into it Um, But I knew, like, I was in a blur, like, and I think, I think you guys have used this term that this, what is it? This disassociation. Yes. Like, I was completely out of body in a blur. That whole time was just so blurry. Like, I was just like, my family actually thought I was on drugs, and I wasn't. But I was just so, like, gone. Um, I think within, like, a week, he had took me to a friend's house and he just let his friend like have his way with me. He was like, go in the room. He told me to go in the room. His friend came in the room and just raped me basically just right there. And he was like, you can use her however you want, basically, you know? Um, that was like, (laughs) and that's kind of how it went. Um, we went to, we ended up driving to California to Sacramento and he, um, he put me in a house with like other friends who I think were like crack dealers or something. And it was definitely like a crack house. Like it had um, 
aluminum foil like on the windows and stuff. And he said that he would be back soon or something. And like, next thing I know, they're like, gave me a bottle of Tangeray. And after that, like, all I remember was just like, there was multiple guys just coming through. And um, the next morning, he got me and I didn't say anything to him about it, like, mm-hmm. because I, I didn't trust him either at that point. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, no, not a safe person to try and get <laughs> right. support from. Yeah. And I had no way of contacting my family at the time. I think, like, he had took my cell phone away or something along those lines. Um, and I had just, like, I don't even think I had a cell phone at that point. Um, and so... I don't know timing wise, but late, like later he was, he asked me about that night and he's like, you did what you wanted with them. You, you put all that to, you know, like put all the blame, like I did something. And, and so he like turned it and was like, I'll never trust you. Like put, was putting it all on me. Like I did something wrong. And, um, I, I knew like I had to get away from him somehow, but I didn't know how, <laughs> like, it was just like, I was just like, so gone. Um, and, and I, I remember like we were on, he took us down to Beverly Hills and I was walking out there working. And I remember like another pimp, like behind me, cause that's what they would do. They come behind you and they're like spit their game at you and you're supposed to keep your head down and like not look. And I was like listening and I was thinking maybe I could just get away with another one <laughs> in my mind, you know? Yeah, but you're um, probably like desperate times, you know, like this person, yeah, is not safe. And so it's like, I don't know, what are the options? Exactly. Is this one better? I don't know. I don't know. So I was, I was very tempted. Like I was so tempted. And then something inside me was like, no, don't do it. So I stayed with him a little bit longer, um, but then he started, I don't know if him and the other girl were getting on some type of drugs or what, but they, um, and maybe they drugged me. I don't even know, (laughs) you know, it was one of those things, but I do remember him like taking me into the closet, like at least two or three times in the house or in the, not the, the, that was at the house. So that was at the apartment still. He would take me into the closet and like um, he would rape me, but like he stuck a blow dryer like up my butt. Like he like he would do the most like inhumane things, you know. And so that was at the apartment. And then we went to the hotel. I remember. Okay, so we might have been in the apartment like a month or so. And. Finally, I, I think just somehow I finally figured out a way to get the courage to plan an escape. He, like I said, had my car all the time. I, at one point I was like, can I go, I need to go to the store and do something. And he let me. And so when I went, I went to, um, like an auto store and I made a copy of the key and I hid it in like a makeup compact and then, um, and then I went back, um, 
And I like was just planning on somehow, maybe somehow like escaping in the middle of the night and (laughs) taking the car and taking off. But I got lucky one night I was on the track and I actually got a call to go to somebody's house for like a hour call. And it was like a $300 hour call or something because he had put ads in the paper for us. So we would get these calls too. And usually he would take us and like drop us off and then come get us or something like that. But something was going on that night where he was just like, go ahead and drive yourself. And I'm like, okay. So I felt like it was my chance. And I I went to the call. So I had money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I called him and I told him I had a cell phone at that point for those ads. Right. <laughs> Um, so I called him from that and told him that it was going to be a two hour call to give myself some more lead way. And, um, he was just like, yeah, make that money. Cool. <laughs> and so I did the call. I went to the hotel room, grabbed my stuff and just booked it out of there. And I drove, I drove through the night and made it to my mom's house, which was probably about, um, eight hours away. <laughs> Um, so I got away from him. (laughs) I was there for three months. And, um, in those three months, there was one time I actually did, was able to leave to see my mom and stuff. Um, oh, I got evicted. That's why I had gotten evicted out of my, my apartment. (laughs) So I had to go move my stuff out and he actually let me go. And my mom actually took me to like an emergency psychiatrist or something to try to get me to stay because she knew I was in a really bad situation. She, I think she did know what was going on to a degree. She knew that I was a working girl. She knew I was with a pimp. I didn't really like hide anything from my mom, but I wasn't talking to her a whole lot during that time. Like there were just like bits and pieces when I could, I think it was like, I didn't talk to her because he took my cell phone. And then once I got that cell phone, I was able to talk to her, but she, I remember like after like moving out and everything, you know, and she took me to the psychiatrist and was just trying everything to like keep me, but knowing that I'm an adult and she couldn't just physically hold me, (laughs) hold me back. She was like, I just remember she was like just heartbroken when I like I got on a greyhound and went right back <laughs> to <Right>. this monster. <laughs> um but it has to be the person's choice. I think that's the hardest part in all of this is like you can't force people to do things and you can't like rescue them. Um you you know, which is so so hard when you love someone and you see them going through something so horrific and it still has to be that person's choice, you know, or it won't stick. Because there's a lot of coercion going on in that dynamic you are in, you know, and a lot of legitimate fear. And so, like, you know, being able to, like, process that and get to a point where you could make the choice for yourself is really the only way that those decisions stick, you know? I think so. I agree. He he did. He put a lot of, like, fear in me, like, mm-hmm. saying he knew a lot of people and they would come get me if he right. ever if I ever left and... Yeah, he definitely put all that fear in me to make me think I had to stay. Right. So, yeah, I am bouncing back around. That's okay. (laughs) Um, When I did get away from him, though, I did get away. And I stayed with my mom for 
um, three months and I, I tried to work a normal job. I got hired at a gas station, which probably was the worst one to even try to get hired on. Cause the first thing they had me do was like clean toilets or something. <laughs> and it was a truck stop. And I was like, Oh no, yeah, what did I, I do? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think I still had that just, I still, I don't know. I felt like I knew how to make money now, you know? Um, and my mom lived about two and a half hours away from Vegas. So I just started driving down there here and there, not, not to make money, but just to get back into like the glamour of it all and everything. I just liked it down there. And one night I was down there with my best friend and another guy caught my attention <laughs> and he was, um, tall, dark and handsome, you know, six foot three, um, stocky and just beautiful smile, everything, you know, and he took my number down. Um, we ended up talking over the phone like multiple times. I knew I, being that I was already turned on into the game, I kind of already knew that he was a pimp. Mm -hmm. And I think in my mind, I was searching for another one because at that point I felt like, I felt like my life was over as far as like a normal life. <laughs> I was like, I will never be with a normal man at this point. I'm ruined. Like that was mm -hmm. my mindset, you know, like I felt very, um, you know, I just was like, I can't be with another man at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what's happened to me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I had many conversations with him and he just, he sounded amazing. And, you know, compared to the other guy, like he was like, I have a few girls and they're all well taken care of. And he's like, I'm about to go to DC if you want to come. And, and I asked him about drinking because the other guy drank a lot. And he's like, oh, I'm not drinking. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I'm like, wow, you don't drink. Cool. You know, and he was just very, oh my gosh, like just, he was even more charming than the last one. You know, like I was very attracted to him. Um, and finally I was like, okay, I will, I'll see. I'll see what happens. <laughs> um, so with him, this is Remy. So I went from Cisco and then to Remy. I was with him for five and a half years. I, um, I like, I would consider him like my first love almost. You know what I mean? Like I was so infatuated. Um, but you know, he, uh, we, um, we went to DC and that's when like, if I want to speak in game terms, <laughs> my hoeing <laughs> went to a next level, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. he upgraded me, you know, like he mm -hmm. was getting my hair done, my nails done. I was working out every day. My body was like in the best shape it ever been, you know, and like he was really like taking care of me, you know, um, get me all the like nice new clothes and everything. And, um, I was working in Washington, D.C. for a while, and I ended up getting locked up out there, like, twice. And my my last name 
which I won't share, but it's a very funny last name. And this is just kind of a funny story to add. (laughs) When I got locked up, I got arrested one time and I was just in like almost like lingerie. Like I was in like a bra and like these tiny like lace boy shorts, basically. (laughs) And the cops all just started calling me by my last name in there. And like, I was like getting known in there. And I was like, Hey, like I, I had no, like no shame, no shame whatsoever. It's kind of funny. <laughs> like, hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, yeah. I'm back. And they would just be like, Hey, <laughs> um, but it's funny because this is when I really actually honestly started to enjoy escorting and hoeing and like I started to learn more and more about it with him um I started to like post ads myself like online and like I didn't really work the streets anymore like I actually would go into like hotel lobbies and like bars and whatever um I was just learning I was charging more and like all these things so it was like glamorous you know Definitely Um, sounds a lot more glamorous than the last situation. And I'm sure that felt like kind of affirming in some way where it's like, oh, I know how bad it can get. And this is not that. So it must not be that bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly like my mindset was with it. Um, And he, uh, I don't know. I think I was with him for, I would say probably like a few months or something when he, I started seeing him drinking and he is the type of person where when he drinks, he drinks and he goes on a binging episode for like a week. Got it. <laughs> and he, um, he just one night he ended up like just losing it. And that was the first time that he beat me. And he, um, as he was like beating me, I was like, just kill me. Like, I was like, I don't care. Just kill me. I don't care. And it's funny because he had like a, a frying pan in his hand and we were staying in like an extended stay hotel near DC area. I think near between DC and Baltimore, that area. And he was like about to like hit me with the frying pan. And when I was just like, just kill me, something in his eyes just like stopped. And he's like, He's like, you don't care if I kill you? <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't care. Um, well, like some- you weren't challenging his power. It felt like when, when someone gives up like that, it's like, oh, the game is over. Like, I don't have any power here because they don't care. And I want you to care. Like, it was it was crazy. Um, and it stopped him, though, somehow. So in some aspects, I was like, whew, you know. Um, but... I learned more about the ways he was and I noticed, you know, so on his binging episodes, that's when I need to be completely quiet, very submissive. I mean, I had to be submissive no matter what, you know, but he wasn't exactly like holding me hostage. Like I was like, I felt like I was in a relationship with him, you know, there were other girls too. And we all felt the same way like we all didn't like share a room together like we technic to usually we'd all have like our own rooms and he would come and hang out with us or whatever which is actually a technique that pimps will use called boyfriending yes 
And that is like in order to establish that emotional connection, because that and this is where it's so like the misconceptions around why people stay. It's often less about the physical, which it can be for sure, especially like in that previous relationship you were talking about. Like I literally had nowhere to go. I had no phone. Like I had no freedom. I was scared. I was being like taken to and from all of these random places. But And that in and of itself is a huge barrier, but that emotional barrier is even harder. That's the hardest thing of all. And so like establishing that, you know, those feelings of love and trust and intimacy is really what keeps people kind of trapped in the dynamic. And I know that with, you know, even with other women who are in the industry, um, I know many who are still doing it today who were doing it when I was there. And like, that's their mindset. You know, they're like, this is my man, you know, um, loyalty is a huge thing in the game. Like you represent your man. Um, when you're out, you're representing him. Like that's, it's just a whole, like, it's crazy. The, it's crazy how small the game world is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like people know of other people's folks. They'll be like, when we're out and we see another working girl, they're like, who are your folks? I'm like, so-and-so. I don't care who yours are. <laughs> like, I'll, you know, you act like you're like the best. <laughs> yeah, like royalty. There's like a hierarchy of, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, there's yeah. Its, it's its own culture for sure. It is. It's, it is. And um, that made it, that made it even harder to leave because, mm-hmm. you know, I felt this, I was part of this, you know, I was starting to be a known person in it. And so with him though, things, a few things happened at the beginning of our, my time with him. Um, he was starting to do like cashing checks, like cashing travelers checks or something to make extra money. And he got me involved in it because I'm, you know, I, I could totally walk into a store and they won't even like question me. I'm a white blonde girl. Right. <laughs> They're not going to question me. So I, um, I go in the stores. So I started doing that and making my money that way for a while. I was bringing in like thousands. And so, um, but then I ended up, I ended up getting caught one time. And, um, at that point, we shut it down and we went into hiding basically. And we went and hid in Arkansas of all places. <laughs> and so he didn't want me on the streets because he thought that they would come after me or something, or if I get locked up or anything. So I started working um, in a strip club and just making not a lot of money, but just enough. And we were, sta- we were staying um, with his dad and his stepmom at the time. Um, and it was just me and him. Like he had other girls at the time, but they were on what they we call automatic, where they're working by themselves in other Got places. It. And for me, I was feeling so important because here he is with me, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think during that time, other girls left, so I was the the la- the one there the longest at that point which every girl in the game sometimes wants that spot. They want that. It's called bottom. They want to be the one who's been there the longest, the most loyal, you know? Um, So I like got my spot with him. Um, We laid low in Arkansas for a while. And honestly, like in those times, I don't really recall too many like 
bad memories, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe he just wasn't really drinking at the point, but it was like, he, it's like he would go on these drinking binges and that's when he would um, hit me or like do something and they would get, they would escalate to more and more. Um, And I think it got further in when we moved to, after we were in Arkansas for a little while and we felt like things were okay, we moved to um, New Orleans. So I moved to New Orleans in like towards the end of 2003. I'd been with him at that point for probably like six months. Probably was like January 2004, around there. Um, So we're in New Orleans. We get an apartment. We have another girl with us. She gets the apartment in her name because she's mm-hmm. all good. We get an apartment. Um, and me and her become like best friends. Like we completely like get along so well. Um, and one night he, um, he was gone. I think he was out of town. I think he went to visit his family. He's from California and it was Mardi Gras. (laughs) So the girl and I went out, got completely wasted. We like, we had the best night ever, just wasted beads, everything, just having a ball, doing, doing Mardi Gras stuff. And for anyone who hasn't been to Mardi Gras, it's pure madness. Just wild. Madness. Yeah. So wild. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. And we were like, we weren't working. We were just yeah. like, we were having fun. While we were out there having fun, one of his pimp friends saw us. <laughs> And we were so drunk that we ended up talking to him. Now, that's a big rule. You don't talk to other pimps whatsoever. You keep your eyes down. You don't even, like, look their way. Yeah. And we were straight up talking to him. And we, I don't know what we said to him. We were drunk as hell. <laughs> but he called him. And so he found out when he got back home, we were scared as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we were, like, we were scared as hell. Um. He comes back. He beats the living hell out of us. He took a belt and just was just beating us and beating us and beating us. And I was like just bruised from head to toe. Um, we somehow got out like me and her got out of the house and went to a hotel. We stayed the night in a hotel um, until we were hoping he would calm down. We weren't planning on leaving him. We just were getting away. Um, he called us like the next morning and was very apologetic. It was just like, please come home. Um, we came home. He got us flowers. He was putting the witch hazel on us. Like we were both laid out. We were both like busted up. And um, I was working for She's basically a madam in New Orleans. I was actually working for her as well because she would give me calls and then I would pay her a cut. Um, And she was calling me and I I had to tell her a whole story that like I got jumped outside, you know, and so she felt really bad and she because we couldn't work. We were like, we can't even go out in public. So we were laid out for a few days. Um, And. And that's how it was with him. It was like, he would beat me so hard. And then like, it was a honeymoon phase. He would be so apologetic and just so like, I'm so sorry. Like, it was always like that. 
it was just the same thing over and over again for five and a half years. <laughs> and that's a real cycle. It's called the cycle of abuse. You can Google it. There are like diagrams that show this cycle. There's that honeymoon phase, attention phase, an explosion phase, and a honeymoon phase. And um, and that's what keeps people kind of like stuck in the cycle. If it was explosion always, that, you know, could alert folks to like, oh, something, this isn't like, people would catch on a little sooner, I think. But because there's that foundation of like intimacy and like feelings of love and trust and a bond, like being able to reinforce the bond, it's like, oh, it's going to be fine this time. Or, you know, um, yeah, it keeps people like trapped in the cyclical nature of the relationship. And that's true for um, like any kind of abusive relationship, not just like in the game, you know, it's interesting to know that it will sort of like mimics that same cycle kind of regardless. Yeah, that was, that was our life. Like um, he, he, he did a lot of strange things too, though. Like we, one time we were in um, near New York city, we were near New Jersey area and he was like out in his car drunk and he would call he had probably um three or four girls at the time he would call us out like one by one and have us like give him head in the truck and um another time we were like in a restaurant out there and he was so drunk and he like had me like go down on him in a restaurant like and the just a like embarrassment I had, but I couldn't do anything about it. And like, but no, and but I didn't want to leave him at the time. Like it was so crazy. I just wanted him to stop drinking. Right. Right. You know, like I was just like, please stop drinking and everything will be fine. Yeah. It also feels like a test. That feels like a test to me. You know what I mean? Like, let me see how far I can push your loyalty and like, see what I can get away with and test like my limits, you know? That's definitely how he was big time. He, um, I think one of the last straws was we, after hurricane Katrina hit, we were, we were up in New York area for a while. And then we went and moved to, um, Florida. We were in Orlando and, um, while we were there, so we were there from, gosh, I think we ended up getting our apartment in January of 2006. So, uh, we were living together while we were there. Um, but around like 2008, 2009, when the worst, like one night he was at a strip club and I go to pick him up. Um, and he's, I don't know what he's saying something. And I said something back that was the wrong thing to say, (laughs) And I'm driving and I'm saying, I said something back and next thing I know, he just like whaps me and, um, and then he starts like just beating me while I'm driving. Um, so I pull into a parking lot and I like, I'm trying to get out of the car and I get out of the car and comes around and he just pushes me on the ground. He just starts stomping on me, like stomping my face and, blood I'm just seeing blood like everywhere and um I don't know somehow I like got up and like ran there was a hotel right there and like I ran into the hotel and he took off he like took off with the car and they gave me a room 
I think I, I must have somehow grabbed my, I don't even know, like I grabbed my purse or something, but they got me a room and they're like, are you okay? And I'm just like, just give me a room. I go up there and I'm just like, I see that I'm just like blood like everywhere, but they, they didn't even call the police. I don't know. (laughs) Like maybe just, they didn't want to deal with it. I don't know. Um, but I got in the room and I just was like, like, holy shit. Like, um, uh, I think he had like broke my nose. I'm pretty sure. Like I could tell. Um, and like, I just, I, I couldn't even recognize myself, but, um, I stayed in the hotel and I had a dog. My dog was like my lifeline <laughs> and he was the one who got me through everything. So he, um, and my dog was at the apartment, you know, so he, uh, clearly could use my dog against me <laughs> Yeah, as a way to like get you to come back. Yeah. And he kept threat. He would, um, he was calling my phone and he kept threatening that he was going to put my dog in the, um, washing machine or something, you know? And I'm just like, no, don't do that. And, um, I didn't know how capable he was cause I knew he loved this dog too, <laughs> you know? So I wasn't sure how capable he was of doing this, but, um, I was not going to leave my dog <laughs> or risk it. I mean, you yeah. know, at that point, it sounds like you thought he loved you too and he could hurt you. So it's, logically there's like, I don't know. I don't know, you know, and that's scary. So the next morning he, he picked me up from the hotel. He went to go get his haircut and he, he took the keys with him. He made me sit in the car, but he took the keys <laughs> and he took my purse. He took like everything. Cause he's like, and my phone. I think he took all that while he was in there. My dog was in the car. So I was in the car with my dog. <laughs> um, and I just waited for him to come out. But I think in my mind, that's when I was like, I need to get away from him. Like, it's like, this is just, I could see it was just getting worse and worse. And in our relationship, there were other girls now at this point that I was becoming like jealous of and like, Um, I was thinking he was showing them more attention or whatever, you know. Um, But I was starting to feel like it was like my time to get away. Um, And I, I I think I want to backtrack a little bit. I did help another girl get away at one point, actually. We had gone out on automatic and she was done. And I actually helped her to kind of, I was like, I won't tell him it's fine, you know, and we're, and she, she got away, got herself, um, back home and everything. And I think when she did that, I think that was also another like turning point for me. Like, okay, I want other girls to leave him. Why am I not? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, I was starting to feel that way. Um, during the whole time I was with him, I had a good relationship with my mom and my best friend, different people who was like trying, they never were trying to get me to leave at that point. I think they knew I was going to do whatever I was going to do, but they were still like a supportive system. Um, so I think one night, I think it was after that night that he beat me in the parking lot of the hotel. I, one night he was just passed out drunk and I packed my car up with my dog and I drove all the way back to the Southwest area to my, to my mom's. (laughs) 
And along the way, I made money. Um, I stopped along the way and just like would post and make money. And um, he was in contact with me like the whole time, just like, please come back. Or I just want to make sure you're okay and you make it there okay. Very, you know, and I was like, I feel done. And he's like, well, even if you're done, just give us some time. Um, and then I, I got to my mom's and while I was at my mom's, he ended up getting arrested and his mom called me and was just like, Hey, he knows that, you know, where the money is to get him out. Like, cause I knew where his stash was and everything. He's like, can you, she was just like, he really hopes that you can go back and get him out. And I did. <laughs> My I left my car and my but I left my car and my dog with my mom <laughs> and I just flew back and um and I ended up staying back with him for my dates are way fuzzy if you can't tell but I stayed back with him for a while um and then finally when I he ended up going to jail, I think for whatever charge he had charged or <laughs> he had multiple, he kept getting arrested here and there. Most of the time, I think it was like DUIs sure. and like stuff sure. like that. But he finally, he, he was going to go, he was going back to jail in January of 2009. So prior to him going to jail, I was out one night. I think he was out of town and I was out one night and I actually ended up meeting another pimp. <laughs> And me being not as loyal to him anymore and feeling like I was done with him, I met another guy <laughs> and um, just kind of talked to him a little bit. But I didn't give him my number or anything. I just, like, talked to him. Um, and then when when Remy went to jail, I ran into that guy again. And now I was, like, I was in fact, like, I thought he was cute and everything, all that. You know, he seemed like. And I'd been watching him, like, because I knew of it when I met him the first time. And I was like, oh, shit, he's a pimp. I don't think I knew he was a pimp when I first met. But then I made the connection and I started seeing him at all, like, the hot spots, like, at the hotels. And, like, I saw him on the track. And he had, a um, like, a Mercedes S600, like, a big white car with the rims you know so it was easy to spot him wherever he was <laughs> not <laughs> conspicuous <laughs> yeah um so when Remy went to jail I made I made the leap and I I told myself I told myself the only way I could get away from Remy was if I got with someone else who I didn't have as much of a connection with but at this point I think I wanted to square up I was getting to that point, but I still was just like, not sure if I could. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, you've been conditioned over the course of years to like be dependent on somebody else. Like your whole world, you're like taught and it's reinforced that like you need a pimp, you need somebody else. Like you can't do it on your own. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's just, it's so much to process that that leap makes like logical sense when you're kind of trying to survive and like figure out what's next and like what, you know, what are the other options? You know, it's like, if I can like upgrade to someone who's a little bit safer, maybe like, you know, maybe make an incremental move, but not have to like blow everything up entirely. Like it's a lot. That's kind of how I was feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, I made the move and he, they have to, when you make a move from one to the other, they have to give the other pimp their papers, they call it, you know? So like Remy called me one night from jail and I gave the phone to, we'll call him Sin. I gave the phone to him and he just, he did his whole talking pimp talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got your girl. Da, da, da. She's mine now. Blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just sitting there like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I was emotional. I was crying. I was like, what am I doing? I love that guy. Blah, blah. But um, I, this guy, Sin, I told him, you know, how he used to beat me and everything. So he was just like, I won't, I won't touch you. You're fine. Like, um, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I didn't believe him, but I was just like, okay. Yeah. And Remy said he didn't drink and the other guy yeah. said he had nice cars and like, I, yeah. Like that's pimp talk, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you don't, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but he ended up right after I chose up with him, he ended up telling me that he was about to go to prison. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he, he was like, yeah, I got to go in just for like four months. And I'm like, okay. He's like, will you hold me down? I'm like, I guess. And like, I met, I started to meet his girls and they were just like, all very, very cool. Like, like me, like just like a square white girl is the way that we called ourselves because we're all very, we're not the typical, like not to do a stereotype, but a lot of girls who are in the game who are white are more like hood girls, you know, with the tattoos and they speak more hood and, you know, and we're like the white girls that can talk eloquently. <laughs> that makes sense. Like You're your own like kind of brand yeah your own genre yep yeah so like those were the girls he he had you know um and I I really liked him like I liked his bottom girl and we're actually best friends still to this day like we we clicked like that you know um and I liked the other girls like I was like and he was like well when I go away you guys have to hold each other down, you know, we'll be our, each other's support system. So in some aspects, I was happy he was going away because I was like, this is what I need. I need, I need girls around me, you know, some and, security and like a place to live, but also yeah. like, you don't have the pimp actually around. You just have like this little support group and you guys kind of get to run the show the way you want to. Yeah. And I actually, I actually had my own place to live. I don't think I cool. said that. Oh, at that point, I had actually moved out of the apartment that Remy and I were sharing together because at that point he was like into other girls more, I feel like. So he was like, you can go get your own place. So I actually had my own place. Um, but when I did choose up with Sin, he wanted me out of that place since Remy knew where it was. Mm. So then he helped me like, he didn't really help me. I did it. But like I broke my lease and I got into a new place that only he knew where it was, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, and that was something I liked about him too, because I was like, I felt more independent. And even with Remy, I felt independent to a degree, you know, whereas that first guy I did not. Mm -hmm. Um, so he went away and I, you know, was doing my thing, whatever. 
Um, he comes back out and he loved to shop and we would just shop a lot. And I mean, my time with him, I was with him from January, 2009 to December of 2010. I mean, it wasn't all good. I'm not going to say that cause it wasn't, <laughs> um, he, out of those times he, he did smack me. He never really fully would like beat me, but he did smack me, but he would use different ways to like degrade me or like Mm -hmm. make sure he, I knew who he was, you know, like, like he would put me in a corner if I did something that pissed him off and make me stand there for like ever. I don't know, like hours it felt like, or he, his thing was he liked to make us work out, but he would like make me like do like 200 squats and then push-ups and then like I was dying and like if I was dying he's like no you've got to keep going and I was like can't do it anymore (laughs) like that was his thing so like he's still establishing power and control but just in a different way in a different way yeah um he was very known in the community like everyone knew him everyone liked him um And so when we, we would go out and he would make a show of it, like he'd have us all dressed up and he's looking nice. And, um, he would have us like bow down to him, like at his feet, like make a whole like show about it. And people would be like, yeah, you know, go, you got it. Like it was crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just crazy to think back of things, you know? Um, so the turning point with him was I started to, when I started to work a lot by myself or with another girl, like we'd go on the road a lot. I would travel a lot. Um, I would travel to where I'm living now a lot. And so I established many regulars in the area that I live now. And, um, I, I noticed like our relationship, me and him were just like drifting. We would not talk on the phone. Anytime we would talk on the phone, it was, we were very at odds with each other. He wasn't, he was not showing me any attention anymore. And I was like, done. Um, And there was like some, oh, and when I started coming up to where I'm at now, I started working out at a gym and I started like being attracted to one of the guys that worked there. And I think that that was my thing. I would have to go from one guy to the next, to the next, to the next. I could never like be single, you know? Um, so I, I could tell we were drifting. And finally I was talking to my best friend a lot and I was telling her, I was like, I want to be a vet. That's like a term in the game when you're in the game for longer than 10 years. And she's like, and what is that going to do for you? <laughs> like, what and I'm like I don't know I just want to and she's just like really like because um she's like just do you really want to and the more I thought that I was like a lot more things were happening where I was like I do want to square up I want to be a mom I want I want to get married if I can you know like different things and I was like the only way I'm going to do that is if I do change my life somehow (laughs) you know so, um, I, I met the guy at the gym and I think he, he was like one, he was the first guy that I had sex with without charging in like eight years other than like my pimp, you know? And I was like, oh my God. So I was like, I gotta leave 
weeks and I have to leave him. And um, something happened that I had a big disagreement with the sin where he wanted me to like leave my car somewhere for another girl. And I was like, not filling it, not trusting it. And I told him no. And then he didn't talk to me for like two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, I guess we're done. And like, this seems very... to be coming to a natural close. <laughs> yeah. Like it was very easy to leave him, which I think in some aspects, when I look back, everything happened the way it needed to for me to like get out, you know? Um, so New Year's Eve, 2000, it would have been what? Turning into 2011, New Year's Eve is when I like made the decision, like, I'm going to square up this year. I'm going to do it. I think what gave me the like, um, the motivation as well was like the fact that like a square guy was even attracted to me, like the guy at the gym, because he knew he knew what I was doing. And I was like, even though he was probably playing me, but like, he like, he was just getting what he could get from me. Well, I was going to ask you if that felt like an empowering moment where you're like, oh, I just did this for myself. And that made a difference. It did. It made a big difference. Um, And I mean, I was very attracted to him. And like, I even, I even, we follow each other on social media to this day. Like, we're not, we're not friends, but like, I'm married now and everything. But like, there's a, there's, there's something there because he knew like he was the first person. So it's like this, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, that new year's Eve, I made the decision and then I just put the plans into motion to move up to where I am now because I had regulars out here. So I was like, well, if anything, I'll have them to rely on while I try to find like a job and everything, you know? So because I knew I couldn't do a whole lot of posting anymore because they, I figured they'd be looking. Um, and uh, so I got an apartment up where I'm at. I, my dad or my stepmom, actually, I asked for her help and she helped me move up here. And that's the first time I probably reached out to my family to even help me to like escape or anything. That was the first time. And she came like, she was perfect. She was like, of course. <laughs> so she, um, she helped me move up here. And then within not even a month of, this was before I moved up here within a month while I was waiting to get my apartment, I met my, who I'm married to today. <laughs> and, um, our relationship started basically like in March because I got pregnant. <laughs> so not that our relationship is perfect because it's not, <laughs> but, but um, he, he knows everything about me. Like I was able to just like tell him from the beginning. I mean, he doesn't know all the details, but like he knows, he knows that I was a working girl. Um, and um he, when I got pregnant, like he was just like, okay, well, we got to do what we got to do. <laughs> and I, I stopped working immediately, like doing what I was doing. And I, I found a part-time job, but he basically kind of just helped out like with the bills and all that, you know, and, um, here we are 10 years later with four kids. <laughs> Yay! 
But like, what a difference to find somebody who actually just would actually be responsible. And like you said, do what needed to be done and just like step up and show up. And it's like, you know, who like who we like relationships are just these wild things that we do. And so there is no right or wrong way to start one, you know, like maybe an unconventional start to a love story, but still like just a very different person than what you were used to dealing with. And I mean, he, we, we've gone through a lot because I mean, I am dealing with, especially more, I feel like more recently in the more recent years, I'm noticing like my signs of PTSD. I just recently got diagnosed with it. And, but it took me a while to like notice what I was going through and like everything, you know, so we, we deal with, you know, our own issues and so I'm I'm definitely going through a phase of where I need space, but and he's giving that to me. I mean, and I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to live best and you know, not carry all this with me, you know. So I knew that like this would be a good step to take <laughs> kind of get it out. Well, and you were, there were so many chaotic years that, and then went right from like chaotic years as a working girl into being a mom, which is also its own brand of chaos. Like you don't get to like take up a whole lot of space or take care of yourself when you're raising kids. And so it makes sense that like, yeah, after, after a lot of years of like giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, it's like, now you get a little bit of space to think about you and what you want and how to take care of yourself and what much deserved. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So, and, so what does that look like for you, this kind of new phase? What does like space look like for you? Um, it's I'm I'm establishing my boundaries a lot more. I'm learning I I go to Al Anon. I am a big supporter of that. Um I'm learning about just more of you know the things that have put me in the positions that I've been in in my life, you know? So I'm just taking a lot of steps back and I'm big on routine. (laughs) I I really feel more comfortable like in a routine. So I wake up every morning and have my cup of coffee and then I read my daily literature and then I do my prayer and, you know, I have my, I have a very, not that set because I do have kids, but <laughs> you know I try to make it as routine as possible. Um, and I like to work out. Um, I just recently started seeing a therapist biweekly because at at one point I just felt like I didn't have time, you know. Um, so I'm doing a lot more for me now, like. And this has been very recent, I feel like in the last two years or so, where I'm just like, I'm putting me first <laughs> for once in my life. Yeah. You know? And you can't give what you don't have. So there's like a spillover effect when your cup is full. It's like you're a better, you can be a better, you can be more efficient at like taking care of other people. But um, it's hard to learn that. And especially after everything that you've been through, it's like, it probably wasn't even on your radar for a while, but that was an option. Like, Oh, I get to take care of me. Like what? (laughs) Well, um, I just, first of all, want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really powerful. And I appreciate like your openness and your honesty and your vulnerability. It's really, um, beautiful. And it feels like a huge gift. And I think that 
your story is really, it's unique to our podcast. We haven't had somebody who's been a working girl, like talk about that experience. And I, um, and I have learned a lot about like the ways in which those dynamics like really do look very similar to like abusive relationships. And I don't know, I, I don't want to label anything for you because it's, I know these things are so personal, but I'm just, after listening to you, I'm curious if there's like, do you feel like there were elements of like trafficking at all that kind of like human trafficking that sort of like trickled in or I guess I'm hearing like patterns of coercion. I'm like, that doesn't feel consensual, you know? Uh, definitely there, you know, and my, one of my best friends, the one who I mentioned that I'm still friends with today, we've had these conversations cause she's out now. So we, and we're both in totally different places in life, you know, and we, we've both, talked about that and we're like we were trafficked I mean we you know a lot of times people think it's minors you know or it's like um which there are minors out there um and but we you know we were definitely manipulated into coming into the game and we were manipulated into staying in the game I mean there's no doubt about it, you know, in my mind that it was like that. And, but even the game itself, which I didn't fully dive into, but like the elements of like the tricks, you know, like I didn't really capture those. Like there were, there are tricks out there that hurt you and there are tricks out there that rape you or go past those boundaries. And I mean, I dealt with those too. I dealt with, I did deal with being robbed at gunpoint. I dealt with one time I actually got shot in the leg. Um, this was with the first guy that I was with him. And I got shot in the leg. I was in the car with this trick and he, he pulled a gun out on me. And I was like, <laughs> still not afraid to die at that point, I guess. <laughs> so I was just like, what are you going to do? <laughs> he, he ended up shooting me in the leg and it was a BB gun. Once I found out it was a BB gun, I felt a little bit more calm I was like, okay. So I jumped out of the car and I somehow made it back to the hotel room. This pimp said he thought I shot myself just for some sympathy. <laughs> it was crazy. Just the crazy mind games. Like, oh my gosh. Um, But yeah, there were a lot of scary situations, just even in the game itself, like with, with the people that were coming to see us. I mean, there were, there was a time in New Orleans that me and another girl were in a guy's house and they were just coked out and we couldn't get hard. <laughs> and, and we're just like, we got to go. And they like, they had one of those locks where it, you have to unlock it with a key from the inside. And they like took the key out and locked it. And like they held up, they held a gun to us and was like, give us our money back. And you will, then we'll let you go, you know? So things like that happened. And any one of those incidents is enough to like create for someone to have PTSD, you know what I mean? And so to a culmination of so many experiences like that, it's like I have layers. layers. Yeah. I'm a very anxious person at this point in life, but even though I'm in a safe place, I just like I'm constantly just like you know. Well, yeah, I mean, those environments put people like in survival mode, you know, really like you're just trying to get by and survive and like find some sense of security and stability. And 
for having to be in survival mode for years. And then finally, like now you don't have to be, it's like, well, that doesn't just go away. Your nervous system is like revved up and like conditioned to have to like be on high alert, basically. And it's like, it does, you don't get to just wave a magic wand and be like, okay, well, I get to be done with that now. Your body is not going to let you forget, you know? It's not. It's not. So I'm in the process of trying to figure out more mm. skills to cope with that a little bit better. But yeah, I think that's... um it's a, it's really cool that you're kind of in that new phase as hard as healing is and as difficult, it's not like a walk in the park, but it's like, you finally get a chance to do that, which is really, yeah, which is what I think everyone would hope for. I feel, I feel a lot more self-worth. I know that it took me a long time. It took me a long time to realize like, um, that I am worthy and I am okay. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, trash now that I did what I did in my life or you know what I mean um and it's also helped me just be more not judgmental of other women you know because I know a lot of women who are still in the game and still doing what they're doing because (laughs) I don't think they know that they can get out if that makes sense sometimes oh yeah yeah and we all need a more we need less judgment of other women I'm all about that I think it's um yeah, the compassion that you speak to is is really um, probably unique to like having been there yourself. So you get it and you're like, I'm not going to judge somebody else when I know what it feels like, you know, um, being and like having women build each other up is um, and all people build each other up. But um, is like what we are her is all about. So it's really neat that yes, I love the podcast. Once I got turned on to it, I was like, oh. It's been oh, <laughs> so I'm happy to share my story with y'all. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And um, and with that being said, I guess what I usually like to do is just end each episode with um, having our guests like just share any message that they would want to share to anybody who's listening right now. If, if you're in the place where I was many years ago and you're feeling hopeless and that there's nothing else at that point, there is. There's always hope. Um, there's always a way out. Um, you are not, you're worth more than you ever will realize. Like there's a reason you're here. There's a reason you're born. There's a reason. And, um, just know that, know that you are important enough to get out of wherever you are and, and you can do it. You can do it yourself. You will be okay. And there are, there, there are people there to support you. Well, that feels like, ah, it feels like a really beautiful message to leave things on. Um, So I think we're going to wrap up and I just want to say thank you so, so much again. And this has been really a special conversation for me. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.